Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. So this week's portion is Vayera, and last week we talked about Abraham and his journeys and how he was uh, focused on making God's name great instead of his making his own name great and, and how he had sought to help those in need of his deceased brother, right, with marrying Iska or Sarah, Haran's daughter, and then also watching over Lot and taking him with him on his journeys. And there's uh, more that we'll probably talk about with regard to Lot. Uh, maybe, not a, maybe not a bunch this week. I was going to say maybe not a lot, but then I was like, you know, let me catch myself here. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but we'll, we'll go through this week in our portion, a lot happens. Um, we know that last week's portion ended with the promise that Sarah would, would bear a son unto Abraham. And then uh, also the covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham. And this week, the portion opens up and Abraham hosts angels who have come to, uh, one, bring healing to him, to announce to, even for Sarah that she would have a child, and then to go forward on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And... Then we do have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot being rescued out of the destruction that was coming. We have the abduction of Sarah, the birth of Isaac, Hagar and Ishmael being expelled from the home. And then you have the covenant with Abimelech at Beersheba. And finally, Isaac being offered up on Mount Moriah. So a lot takes place in uh, in this week's portion. But I think one of the things that is on my heart this week with it, is the transforming power of righteousness and how God works with, works with those who walk in righteousness in order to bring forth his promises. Um, Even as Jamie was praying over the kids just a moment ago and she was talking about Moses and uh, the children and how Moses was going forward as a redeemer. Um, God raises up his redeemers through the righteous, right? You know that Amram and Jochebed were righteous. Um, you have Sarah and Abraham. You have Joseph and Mary. It's God's taking the righteous ones and then from them bringing forth a redeemer, bringing forth a seed that will go forward and carry out his purposes. And so God acts on behalf of the righteous and he works with the righteous to accomplish his purposes and his plans. And so Abraham, right, he was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land, uh, to go to Canaan with his father. They stopped in Haran, and God said, Lech go for yourself into the land that I'm going to show you. And as Abraham goes on his path and his journey with the Lord, his way is never fully revealed to him, right? It's revealed in bits and pieces along the way, and it's up to Abraham to go forward in faith and follow God and trust him in each step along the way. And at each step, Abraham's walking in the character that reflects God with kindness towards strangers, with 
teaching the ways of God to not just his, well, to those who God's entrusted to him, right? Because it starts out with those who he had brought to the Lord and Haran, who he brought with him and Eleazar and Lot and Sarah, right? And then it extends as he uh, has Hagar as a wife and Ishmael. And all along this way, Yeah, Abraham's just unsure of, well, what's the next step, Lord? How are you going to fulfill these promises? You've said that you're going to make my name great, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through me, right, and my offspring. So what is my offspring? Is, is my offspring kind of the idea that we talked about last week where he says, okay, I'm going to take Sarah as my wife, and in that there will be some continuation of my brother's name, and then also taking Lot. Maybe Lot is the offspring in some way who will inherit me, right? Because since Abraham doesn't really know how God's going to fulfill it, he was probably like us in thinking, how is this going to work out? You know, uh, Lord, you've said something's going to happen. Now, I see A and B and C, and I'm trying to connect the dots. And of course, he may not be connecting all the dots the right way, but God's going to reveal what the dots actually are. And so he may have been thinking, well, perhaps it's going to be Lot, you know, because I took Sarah as a wife, but she's not, she's barren. We're, we're, ha- we're not having any children, so maybe Lot's going to inherit me. And then we go through and Abraham has to split from Lot and Lot goes off to Sodom and Gomorrah. So now Abraham's alone. He's saying, well, that's not going the way I thought it would. And then there comes the war with the kings and he rescues Lot. But the king of Sodom says, give me all the people. So Abraham's like, well, I still don't have Lot. So where am I? And that's in Genesis 15 when we're uh, in last week's portion, we see that it was after the war with the kings and after Abraham is now really kind of come to the point where he knows Lot is out of the picture. And the scripture says, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, fear not. Abram, I am a shield for you, for your, your reward is very great. And Abram, Abram says, my Lord, My Lord God, what can you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the steward of my house is the Damascene Eleazar? Right? You've given me no offspring, and my steward inherits me. Right? So he's like, look, it's this is my only offspring that I can reckon is my servant, who's not of me and not of my family in any way. And suddenly the word of the Lord comes to him, that one will not inherit you. Only him that shall come forth from within you shall inherit you. He took him outside and said, gaze now toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he trusted in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So now Abraham knows, okay, now I understand more what the offspring will be. It's going to come from me. But he's still probably a little confused of how this is going to happen, given that Sarah is barren. Right? So then years go by and Sarah gives him Hagar and Ishmael is born. And now he's like, I got it. I see how this is all working out, Lord. Right? Only to fast forward 13 years until God says, nope, actually, he's, that's, that's not the way it's going to work out. Instead, one's going to come forth from you who is actually from Sarah. And so we're going to read... In Genesis 17, starting in verse 15. This is part of the end of last week's portion. 
And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And I want to pause right there because when we were singing the song about just raising our hands to God in worship and coming before him and saying, all that I have is a hallelujah, right? I was singing about Abraham in this moment, right? Because here's Abraham and God saying, look, you're going to have a son with Sarah. That desire of your heart that began back before you even married her, Right. You're going to when you took Heron's daughter, you know, who's now fatherless and you took her, your dream was to have a child through her and to raise up a family through her. Right. But because you've set aside all that you desire in order to help others, to bless others and to make God's name great instead of your own. I'm going to fulfill all of those original desires. Right. Yes, you've got a child who's come forth from you, but your original intent, your original desire, even that is going to be fulfilled and I'm going to open Sarah's womb. And, and you know, Abraham wasn't like, well, it's about time, you know, I mean, that you're coming through with the, the fullness of the promise. Instead, he's like, look, you know, all that you've given me is enough. I love Ishmael. May you bless him. And, and God says, you know, I, I hear you and I will bless Ishmael and I'll make him a great nation. But there's going to be one that's going to come from you and Sarah. And that's going to be the promise. And within that, you know, Abraham, he didn't feel like he had earned. He didn't say, yeah, I'm entitled to this. This is the way it should be. Instead, he's like, God, what you've given is enough. But of course, he was going to receive what God was going to give and say, yes, Lord, I'll go and faithfully trust you. Um, but it was, you know, the righteousness of Abraham and the righteousness of Sarah coupled with God's purpose that brought forth the promised seed that brought forth Isaac because God wanted to bless them and to fulfill all, all their things. And I was thinking too about King David when, uh, when he had taken Bathsheba and he had had Uriah put up in the front lines uh, such that he would be killed. I, and uh, I didn't look up this passage, right? But it was coming to me in, in worship. And so if I'm off on any parts, please forgive me here. But, you know, I, I believe it was Nathan the prophet came to him and said, you know, look, God would have given you anything you asked. Was, you know, did you not have enough that you would go and take something that's, that's not yours? God would have given you anything if it were not enough. And uh, there's just the, the beauty here of, I, I don't know, I guess with the, with the thought there, it's like God's desire is to encounter us, to know us, to be able to birth the desires of our heart that are in alignment with his desires, right? And to say, how can I bring forth these good and righteous things? And Yeshua says, you don't have because you do not ask, right? He says, if you ask anything in my name, um, you'll receive it, right? 
And that's not just like a, hey, you, you wish for a nice car or you wish for a nice house or anything like that. It's like what you're wishing for that's in righteousness and in, in alignment with God's desire, then he is going to meet and grant the desire of, that, of your heart in that. And so with Abraham, he's like, I'm going to bring forth this seed through you and I will establish my covenant <coughs> through Isaac and Sarah will bear, bear him. So continue here in the verse, God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. Uh, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Now, so Abraham laughed and said, will an old man have a child and so forth? And then God says his name is going to be laughter. He's going to be Isaac. And then as we go into the next portion, we see that Sarah too laughs when the idea of her bearing a child comes up. So, all right, so after this conversation, God had told Abraham about the covenant of circumcision. Then he said, Sarah's going to bear you a son. Abram quickly circumcises himself and his whole household, as the Lord had said. And then we pick up here in Genesis 18, According to, the, according to the sages, this was on the third day after the circumcision of Abraham. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat in the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham, had, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So interestingly, you know, there's commentary regarding this, this laughter, the difference between the laughter of Abraham and the laughter of Sarah. And the sages and even the... Uh, the, the Targums, the Aramaic translations, suggest that Abraham laughed with joy and that Sarah laughed with an expression of doubt. And they say sub, that her laughter was not like a conscious 
derision of this of this word, but rather it was a subconscious like, really? Really? This is going to happen? And what I was thinking about too is like, had Abraham not told her? I mean, only three days have gone by, you know, between when uh, Abraham was told that Sarah would have a child and now she's hearing it. Maybe she's hearing it the second time and is like kind of shocked. Well, Abraham told me and now these strangers are saying the same word. But anyway, she laughs and the Lord calls her out on it. And there's something within this uh, that I heard this week. So Aleph Beta uh, you know, has Rabbi Foreman and he presides over a, a number of people who study the Torah and glean insights from it. Well, one of his students, Beth Lesh, uh, she was looking through this and found a unique, uh, a unique way in which this is worded that connects it to another story within this portion. And the question became, well, you know, with these, there's some connections here. How can these two stories be related? So I want to introduce this and we'll, we'll walk through it a little bit. But what happens is within the way that Sarah laughs and certain things that she says is going to be a paralleled in the next story in our portion with Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. But I'll introduce the, the couple of word, the, the ways in which it was worded, and then we'll come back and, and uh, try to piece this together. But in Genesis 8, sorry, yeah, Genesis 18, verse 12, the scripture says, And Sarah laughed, this translation says, at herself. I think the translation we read just a minute ago was, um, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, it was a little bit different. But this, in the Hebrew, the way that this is written is that it says that Sarah laughed uh, bikirba, bikirba, within herself. Okay, so we were singing earlier, Waymaker, right? And we were saying, you are here in our midst, bikirbenu, bikirbenu, you're in our midst, you're within us. It's, it's, you're within this place, it's you're within us, bikirbenu, but this is bikirna. It's so cool that that lined up, Chelsea. Um, but Bekir uh, Ba is what the scripture says, what Sarah did. So within herself, she laughed. Okay, And then what God says is, he says, why is it that Sarah laughed saying, shall I in truth bear a child? Well, what the, the word of the shall I in truth, like kind of like the questioning of the really is, is a unique word that's not commonly found in the scriptures. And so that is here in verse 13. And it's ha, ha'af. Ha'af. Okay, af can also often mean nose or anger or wrath. But ha'af in this case, in the context here, it was, shall I really? Is it really possible? Kind of a, a doubting or a questioning, almost even like an incredulity of Really? All right. So the ha'af and the bikirba. Ha'af is only used one other time in the Torah in this kind of a context. Okay. It is used to regard wrath later on in Deuteronomy. But within this context of being like a questioning thing, it's only used one other time. And that's in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the bikirba, there's only two other times it's used. One in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and one 
when it's speaking about um, uh, Jacob and Esau, you know, being in the belly, right? So, but, so these are not commonly used words. And so the fact that they're both used almost side by side within, within adjacent stories, a question becomes to be like, well, is there a connection between these stories that maybe we wouldn't see just at face value if we're reading through the scriptures, but maybe God has hidden some kind of message within this. And uh, anyway, it's a really cool teaching. I think it's, you know, we're, we're going to talk about aspects of it, but if you want to hear about it in more detail, then I'd encourage you to check out Aleph Beta, the, their podcast from this week. Um, we are going to cover many of the things about it, but that's kind of the intro. She's got this questioning, but there's this questioning and this focus on the laughter could actually be a parallel to what's next with Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so Genesis 18, verse 16. So we're going to pick right back up after the Lord said that she had laughed. And the scripture says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them and to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, or I have known him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Right. So the way of the Lord, the path of the Lord, is righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah was ex extremely wicked. They were greatly wicked. And primarily, I mean, they, they, uh, they institutionalized injustice. They, uh, their laws were to afflict the stranger among them. Their laws were uh, injustice on every front. And so now... So, so God is going to go and see exactly what was going on in the city. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the, for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Okay, so I'm going to pause there. So, you know, within this story, Abraham's going to continue to work down the number from fifty all the way to ten. Okay? And God says, Even for ten, I will spare the city. Now, okay, so how does this connect back to what we read with Sarah and her laughter? Well, when Abraham begins to talk with God about saying, will you stamp out the righteous along with the wicked? He begins to use the same language with the incredulous type of a question that Sarah had asked. Because what it says Vayigash Avraham, Vayomer, Ha'af. Okay, it says Ha'af again. Okay, so Abraham drew near and said, which actually is interesting, like Vayigash, he drew near. That's the same language as when 
uh, Judah approached Joseph. He drew near to, to come into a debate with him and say, okay, what will the path forward be? So Abraham's coming, approaching the Lord, drawing near to him, and he, and he uses the same off, that kind of the incredulous, will you really stamp out the righteous along with the wicked? And he says, what if there should be 50 people, Bekirba, in the city, within the city? What if there would be 50 within the city? Okay, so you've got him doing the same kind of incredulous thing and then bringing in the within it or within her. So now we got this parallel with what's going on with Sarah, but it's still kind of a mystery, right? Because they were talking about this wicked city and then versus Sarah. And I'm not seeing much connection, right? So Rabbi Foreman put, together, put forth an idea that the connecting piece in this is two very similar words, okay? Abraham is talking about the righteous who are in the city. And he, those are the tzaddik, or the tzaddik, okay? And so I want to show here on the, um, on the board... He's talking about the, the tzaddik, okay, which is tzaddi, dalit, yod, kof, okay? And that's, that is a righteous one. And so he's talking about if, there's, if there are 50 righteous ones within Sodom, surely you won't destroy the city, okay? Now, with, back with Sarah, she laughed, okay? She laughed, saying, she laughed within herself, saying, will this surely happen? Okay. Now, you, you look at these two words, you're like, well, Chris, those aren't the same words, and I agree with you, those aren't the same words. But the root of tzaddik, righteous one, is tzedek. Okay? Tzedek is righteous, and tzaddik is the righteous one. So the difference is the yod. So now you're left with tzaddi, dalit, kof. Okay, if you put these two side by side with he laughed and righteous, the words are extremely similar. The big difference is within the chet, the dalit has one extra leg that comes down. Okay, so the only difference between these two just in written form is this, this one bar coming down. So Rabbi Foreman says, what if the Lord has put these parallels into these two things and he is wanting us to draw from the scriptures a connection between the righteous and the laughter. Right? Okay? So, and, and you know, if you're a little incredulous on this, that's okay. But the, there, there's, uh, with looking into the story and saying what's taking place in these aspects, <coughs> Sarah doesn't have a child. She's been barren, okay? But she laughs within herself, right? And God places within her laughter, right? Based on the righteousness of Abraham and her, he changes the law of nature with regard to her to make her womb a place of life that would bring forth a promised seed, a righteous one who is Isaac, okay? Now then you look at Sodom and you say, this is a wicked city that deserves destruction, right? From their wickedness, right? And, and they're going to receive divine wrath uh, in very short order. 
But Abraham says, surely you're not going to destroy the city if there are righteous within it, right? And so God says, if there are 50 righteous within it, then I will spare the city. I will change the judgment that has been given to the city on, for the sake of the righteous. So even as Sarah's womb had been proclaimed to not be able to have children, he changed it such that he could have children. He says, well, Sodom, even though it's judgment that is just would be for it to be destroyed, I will change that for the sake of the righteous. Such that judgment and justice is actually impacted by the righteous within it. The natural order of things is impacted by the righteous within it. So when you think about, you know, I was thinking about God's throne. Um, yeah, here it is. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Right, righteousness and justice. I always thought of them as really these two pillars that were, that were independent where you've got justice and you've got righteousness. But if judgment or even justice is impacted by the righteous, then they're actually interworking, working together, if that makes sense. Such that when you think about the believer being clothed in the righteousness of Messiah, right? The judgment and justice that would be due to a sinner is changed by the righteousness of Messiah. Right? But yet, still justice is done according to God's perfectly, wisdom, perfectly wise ju justice and judgment. Because the righteousness changed the judgment for the individual who has identified with Messiah and who has trusted in God. Not because of their own righteousness, but because of the righteous one who is their agent. Right? Who is their, the, their advocate. And so, Abraham and Sarah... God changed the law that bound her womb to bring forth life. And he would have changed the judgment due to Sodom if they'd even found ten righteous within it. But yet there were not ten, and so the judgment came. But just think about that too. The potential that Lot had to change his environment and his surroundings if he could have just gotten his family on board, because there's some ways of counting where his family may have constituted 10 people, but let's see just his family and a couple more who would have walked in righteousness, then the city would have been spared. And you say, well, you know, Chris, isn't it a good thing that Sodom and Gomorrah went away? I mean, look how utterly wicked they were, right? But within God's sphere, the righteous can transform a place. Right, And so the righteous, even though they may be outnumbered through the power of God, can bring about change to the place and can grow and flourish and bring forth further seeds. Right? And so, so it's, that's, what we, that's what we need in these days of saying, look, darkness may be coming in like a flood, but we are the light. We have the spirit within us. God has transformed the place within us right, by the presence of his spirit and then clothing us with the righteousness of Messiah. And we got the double portion there, right, of, of the ability to go forth as agents of righteousness so that God can birth 
his purposes and his promises through us. Not that our name would be great, but that his name would be made, would be made great, right? And so we have this, this aspect where the, God changed what was destined for Sarah's womb to bring forth Isaac. And through that, you know, uh, I guess we'll come back to that a little bit, but he was able to bring blessing through Isaac to generation after generation, and just as Yeshua does the same. Now, within our, uh, the Haftarah reading this week, we actually had a couple of other stories that I feel were, were parallels. Now, normally, if, I'd, if I had read 2 Kings 4, which I'm not going to read all of this for the sake of time, but there's two stories in 2 Kings 4. The first one is the widow of Obadiah has creditors coming against her. And I say the widow of Obadiah, that's what the sages say that the widow spoken of in 2 Kings 4 is Obadiah's wife. And that Obadiah had protected, he had given his fortune, his life, protecting prophets of the Lord. And so he had been a He'd been extremely righteous and zealous for the name of the Lord. And now his wife, who's left a widow, is about to be sold as a slave. So I'll read a few of these verses. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Okay, so then we t- there's this story, immediately followed by the Shunammite woman, where uh, there's a woman who Elisha passes by frequently, and she feeds him and begins housing him, and he promises, he says, you know, what can be done for this woman? You know, can a word be said for her? And his servant says, well, she has no son. And so he calls her and says, this time next year, you're going to have a son. Right. And so you go forward and you, you find that here's a woman who was barren and then a son was promised. And a year later, the son came forth. Right. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's the connection with this week's portion. And not really saying, well, how does the first part fit? But the first part, interestingly, is here you had the righteous Obadiah and his widow right, who are in need, and there's a vessel full of oil, and more vessels are brought that are empty. But the Lord multiplies, apart from the law of nature, the oil such that it can fill all the vessels, right? So again, this potential for God to provide is unlocked by righteousness and faith, right? And God's bringing forth justice, such that a widow and her children are not sold into slavery because of the righteous works of those who came before her, of her, of her husband, right? And, and then even with Elisha as the, uh, really as the agent and an advocate on her behalf. Now, what does Elisha mean, right? It's El Yasha, 
God is salvation, right? Which is pretty cool to think, right? So God is salvation is going forth and showing her how to walk in a way that's going to bring forth provision. Now, he didn't just say, hey, here's a bunch of oil. It's appeared. He says, no, go and gather vessels and then take and pour into it, right? And so there's this active part that the widow is doing for God's provision. And I was thinking about this too, even with, um, even with the vision of dry bones, okay? In Ezekiel 37, um, you know, the Lord says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here. Uh, Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh God, only you know. And again he said to me, Okay, so then we could have, uh, if you have choose your own adventure, maybe you say, okay, God says, step aside and watch this, right? And he said, I'm going to cause these to come to life. But he doesn't say that. Instead, what he says is he says, again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. And I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may... That, that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinews were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, again, take part, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You know, why did God want to do it through saying prophesy and speak over these? Because God could have just said, Breath come, boom. They're alive, sinews are back on them. No, God says, I'm partnering with you and I'm calling you to partner with me to bring forth my plan and my purposes, to bring life where there was not life before. Right? And so, bring life where there was not life before. This is the power of righteousness and of faith and of saying God is going before the righteous to do according to his will. And so, and even within the story of the Shunammite woman, right? She has a child, but then the child dies. And Elisha says, you know, God's hidden from me. What's going on? She ends up making it to him. And Elisha comes back with her and he begins to intercede for the child. And um, let me see if I can find that. Okay, so. So Elisha came into the house, this is verse 32. Elisha came into the house. He saw the child lying dead on his bed. And so he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became, became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. 
And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. And so here, Elisha went and said, he may be dead, but God is more powerful. And he laid himself upon him. And he didn't give up after the first try, right? Instead, he continued to go before the Lord, walking back and forth and came back. And the Lord brought life into the child so that the promise didn't fall short, right? Because that was one of the things the Shunammite had said, oh, don't deceive me. When he promised the child, she's like, don't deceive me. And then she came and said, you deceived me. My child's dead. I don't have a child. He said, no, no, the word of the Lord will not fall short. It doesn't matter what our eyes see. The word of the Lord is going to stand. And he moved forth in faith to that. And so that's, that's what we see also with Abraham as we come into the Akeda, the binding of Isaac. We have Abraham coming and saying, Lord, you promised me a son, and now you're asking me to give that son up. How do I do this? He says, but I'm going to go forth in righteousness, and I'm going to trust you at each step along the way. In Genesis 22, verse 1 through 19, I think that every year it's required that we read the story of the binding of Isaac, so we, we, we can't, you know, we can't miss it on any week, <laughs> or any, any, uh, annual week. Let's say that. All right. So starting in verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Sorry, I jumped over something there. There we are. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went together. So, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mouth of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. All right, so this was the tenth test of Abraham, right, where he was being had to face challenges and obstacles along the way in order to fully inherit the promise of God. So God calls him to go and to take his son and lift him up for an offering on the mountain. And, you know, when you, when you read the Hebrew in this, there's, there's so much within it that leaves room for what might actually be taking place, okay? So, um, I guess, uh, you know, when he says, take him up, take him up for offering, it doesn't necessarily mean he is going to be the offering, right? There's room, there's room within that, but there's room for it to be interpreted both ways. And Abraham does go immediately, quickly acts, saddles his own donkey and begins to take his son along with um, Eliezer and Ishmael and going up to the place that God will show them. Now, I have to contend that Abraham just didn't, doesn't know. He didn't know how it was going to turn out, but he knew that he could trust God and whatever the outcome was going to be, Amen. right? He says, God says, go. And actually, and in, in within the scripture, okay, if we were looking at the Hebrew, he says him to go, the place which, which he will show him and he says lech lecha el eretz hamoria okay he says lech lecha okay within that there's a recollection of what we saw at the beginning of last week's portion which is called lech lecha right so back in Genesis 12 the Lord said to Abraham, Lech lecha, from your land, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you all will curse, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So part of the promise was, was relayed to Abraham with Lech lecha. And so then Abraham knows that Isaac is the promised seed that will bring forth the promise that was given to him back originally of go to land I'll show you. I'll make all the nations bless themselves by you, right? And I will make your name great. And now he has to take his son up to the mountain that, that God will show him and bring him up for an offering, okay? But he says, lech lecha, and I, I believe that God used that word as a, as a comfort to Abraham, of saying, I'm calling you to go do this thing which you can't possibly understand why I'm doing it or how it's going to play out. But I want you to remember elements of the promise. Remember the last time I said, Lech Lecha? Did I bring you through? Was I faithful? Now I'm saying it again. I'm saying, Lech Lecha. Even though you don't understand, know that I'm faithful. Know that I'll bring you through and I will still perform my word even as I open Sarah's womb in order to bring it forth. Right? And so... So he tells him that, lech lecha, and, and so Abraham goes. And along the way, even as he's getting ready to offer his son, 
God provides the way there in the last moment and says, do not touch the lad, right? But instead he gives them him a ram and the sages say that ram uh, had been dispatched from the creation of the world, I believe is what they say. And they, he was on his way and would have arrived earlier, but he got ensnared. You know, his horns got tangled in the thicket. And that was the enemy trying to withhold the promise and the provision, but God would not allow it to be withheld, right? And that was the lamb that would come, or the ram that would come and stand in the place of Isaac. Now, there's a few things that I'll, I'll touch on. Every year we touch on some of these connections with the parallels of Isaac and Yeshua because they're, they're really beautiful and uh, neat and helping to see how God lays out his plans and his purposes and gives us pictures and understanding so that we can connect the dots often after the fact, right? But with Abraham, he says, you know, this is your only son. And it was rumored after, after Isaac was born that Isaac was not Abraham's son, that Isaac was actually Abimelech's son, right? Because if you look at the storyline, Sarah was taken captive by Abimelech and then within a year, she has a child, right? And so it's like, well, Abraham didn't give you a child all these years, so who did? Well, so then the sages also say that Isaac looked just like Abraham, such that it was undeniable that he was the son of his father, right? And so you think about Isaac being the exact image of his father, such that those who looked upon him would know where he came from. You think about Yeshua, who's the very image of the invisible God, right? Right. And so when we look upon Yeshua says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father because you've seen his righteousness, his goodness, his paths of righteousness and justice manifest in my life so that you'll know who he is. So if you see me, you've seen the father. And and then uh, with the binding of Isaac, um, the remembrance of the Akedah, the binding is recited in the morning prayers. And the sacrifice is recalled every year at Rosh Hashanah, right? At the Day of Trumpets, which is the coronation of the king. And uh, when, we, when we were going through the story here, the scripture says that they went along together. They went together, Yachdav. Okay, they went together as one. Right? So the son and the father on this path to Mount Moriah. And along the path, Isaac is starting to clue into what's going on. He says, I see the wood and all this, but the wood and the fire, but where is the offering? And Abraham says, God will provide the offering, my son. Right? And so you read the scripture there and you say, well, Abraham just said, you're the offering. Right? And at that moment, Isaac could be like, I'm out of here. I'll see you later. Right? Because Isaac wasn't a little boy. He was 37 years old at the time. And his dad's 137. So, you know, it's not like his dad was just dragging him along. Hey, little kid, come with me, you know. Instead, he's like, son, let's go together. And his son recognizing that it's God's will for him to give his life as an offering. He says, I'll do your will, dad. Even though it means laying down my life. Right? And so 
when you see the beauty of that picture, right? That God was pleased to crush his son for the sake of those in need, right? And that Yeshua willingly gave his life and gave up his spirit so that others might live. And you see the story of Abraham and Isaac walking that same path and that they went together, Yachtav, they went together as one. They were united in purpose and mission with the son being fully submitted even to the point of death, right? Uh, it's a beautiful picture. So Isaac willingly gave his life in, according with the, in accordance with the will of his father. And in the Midrash Bereshit, um, when Isaac's throat was about to be cut, they say that he thought, into thy hands do I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. And what did Yeshua say when he was on the cross? Into your hands do I commit my spirit. Now, Midrash Bereshit, right? Did Isaac really say that? I don't really care. It, it doesn't matter if Isaac really said it. That's what the sages expressed his heart's intent. And so then when Yeshua says that from the cross, what kind of dots are being connected? Right? The one who is the promised seed, who is giving his life for the sake of the generations. That's the connection that's being made. Right? So it's, the point was not, is not, is the Midrash Bereshit correct? The point is, what does it teach us? What are we gleaning from the wisdom of the sages? And they, through revelation by the Spirit, spoke that of Isaac, that later on, many years later, Yeshua would speak those words and the connection would be made that this is the promised seed. And also, too, um, I don't have the direct quote on this, but uh, it was said that Isaac said, may my, may my blood be an atonement for the future generations. Right? So then may, may Yeshua's blood be an atonement for all generations, right? So you see the escalation, you see the parallels, and you see the multiplication as God provides. And so when we, when we look at this, right, we're looking at the righteous people throughout time that God used to birth his promises. And we look at the life of Yeshua, the righteous one, the perfect tzaddik, Right? who humbled himself, sought to make God's name great, and humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross so that he would be an atonement for all generations, right? Who put their trust in God and that then God could breathe over those dead bones and breathe life into them and restore the body that had fallen, right? That which is against the laws of nature. But God says, through this righteousness of the one, I will transform the justice due to each individual so they might live. And then that this world might be redeemed and restored and that God's purpose from the beginning could be fulfilled of a heaven and an earth with God's presence, with man to fill it and multiply and subdue it. David. Chris, you said earlier that, you, that the sages deduced that it was Eleazar and Ishmael. Right. Well, so, um, so this, the question was, the, I mentioned how the sages deduced that the two men that Abraham took with him were Eleazar and Ishmael when he was going to Mount Moriah. Uh, they deduced that because um, th there were three people who were potential heirs of Abraham 
right? And who is the chosen seed? Is it Isaac? Is it Ishmael? Is it Eliezer, right? And so he took them all. And the sages say that as the three of them went, that Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw. Okay, so let me, let me see here. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and perceived the place from afar. And the, the story with the sages is that he asked the three if they saw. And only Isaac perceived what Abraham perceived, which revealed that he was, that affirmed him as the chosen heir and the one who would be offered up. But, the, but with the two men, uh, I think their thought was along the lines of who are the two most significant others within his house? It would have been his son and his first servant or primary servant, Eliezer. Yeah. So, good question. Um, Right. And he mentions that has Eliezer being in charge of all things right. in the household after him. Mm-hmm. So it was he was one of the closest ones to Abraham. Right. Always. Even when he sent uh, Isaac, uh, sent for a wife for Isaac, he sent Eliezer. Right. So he's always been second hand of Abraham. Right. Yeah, Eliezer's always been the chief yes. servant. Like the most likely inheritor apart from anything that would have come forth from Abraham. And he was with them, as you said, from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Isaac, Isaac, the the one who was the child of promise, the promised seed. And so, uh, just in wrapping up, right? I think that what we see in in this portion in these stories is the transforming power of righteousness and then the righteous walking with God in concert with His will and His intentions and His purposes to bring forth that which He had promised. And that God's looking for those who will follow the path of Abraham, who will walk in righteousness and justice, who will seek to make a name great for God. And then God will use that and He will raise them up and He will cause many to be blessed on their account just as Sodom could have been spared Sodom and Gomorrah could have been spared had there been righteous. Even the righteous today can bring forth abundant blessings on where we live, our region, state, nation. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the beauty of this week's portion. Oh, it's part of the beauty of this week's portion, just that God would say, nothing is impossible for God, and I can bring life where there was not life. And he calls us to walk with him in it. Amen. Did anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Jeremy. I was listening to something on the Akira this weekend, and they, uh, or during the week, and they, they said that uh, when Isaac was being bound, uh, he asked his father tie it so tight uh, that he, would, uh, he wouldn't be able to escape and make the uh, sacrifice un- unworthy. Yes. And uh, when, after the incident, when they went to the market, they would ask him, are you the, the one that was uh, tied and bound uh, for the sacrifice? And he would show him his hands and feet. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. 
um, in FFOZ, in its weekly Idrash, it made a point, um, you know, how Abraham's, uh, or Abimelech kidnaps Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. And um, all he, God closes the womb of mm-hmm. all of the people in that house. Yeah. And when um, Abimelech gives Sarah back to Abraham, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. Right. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And it shows Abraham's heart in the midst of, you just kidnapped my wife, who's barren for all these years, and for him to pray for them, even though all these years he'd been yeah. praying that Sarah would have a son, it shows his heart. And then, it, it, well, this is Ephesus, not me, right? Mm-hmm. They're making yeah. the point that, you know, when you, you need something and you've been praying for it for so long, Sometimes when you pray for other people, um, and of course him being righteous, um, then your prayer will be fulfilled. And right after that, it's it's interesting, you know, um, uh, Sarah is mm-hmm. promised to conceive, yeah. right? So he uh, he prays for this whole household um, right after being like like injustice, yeah. and then Sarah becomes pregnant, which is yeah. really cool. So I thought that was a really interesting tie in connection they made yeah. to pray for others in the midst of your um, you know, struggle, even though you've been praying for so long. Yeah. So it shows Abraham's heart. Yeah, it's incredible, right? Because it's, it's very much, again, the whole thing of he's looking out for the needs of others and not saying, what about me? But instead saying, okay, how can I be a blessing? And uh, it's the taking the focus off self and being able to be a blessing to others. Yeah. Amen. Beautiful. And, you know, James 5.16, is it? 5.16? The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And here's Abraham praying, and all the wombs are opened. Yeah. Yeah, even his own wife. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, anyone else? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness, for your provision. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible for you. And thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, it's a glorious thing that we can come before you clothed in the righteousness of Messiah with your spirit filling us up and that we can lift our hands and say all we have is a hallelujah. And then, Lord, to see you move within that to bring forth your plans and your purposes. Lord, may we walk in righteousness and justice, follow in the paths that lead to life, such that others may be blessed in us. Help us, Lord, to take the focus off of ourselves and to say, Lord, what are you doing and what blessings are you looking to pour out and how can we partner with you? Lord, we thank you that uh, righteousness is transforming, transforms us and even our surroundings. And Lord, that you, in your infinite wisdom, bring forth justice in accordance with righteousness in accordance with the work of your Son. Lord, we bless you and we give you praise and thanks. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.